Um, first is figuring out ways to give ownership, ownership of the company, ownership of decision-making, ownership of design, but pair that with what we kind of call accountability. Right. So I think that when you just give ownership and you have no accountability, it can kind of frustrate the broader team. Right. But if you give entrepreneurial leaders ownership and then accountability and you really kind of check in, how is this, you know, how are you executing? Is this creativity turning into value for the company and for the mission? Um, I think that that combination is very important for entrepreneurial leaders. Last week we talked about why entrepreneurial leadership is important to ALU and Africa in general. And we had hosted the ALU president, Mr. Christopher Williams. And we talked a lot about um, his leadership roles, his journey through um, his career and how he ended up at ALU. And you know how the values of ALU and his roles um, in previous companies have sort of aligned into what his journey and his purpose has been. So. On top of that, we keep talking about how we lead self before leading others. And on this podcast, what we aspire to have is a diverse network of leaders who've been through a journey and are willing to be a part of its growth and evolution as well. So our guest today is an actual definition of a boss lady, and it's in renewable energy in Africa. So in today's podcast, we're going to talk about her journey into leadership lessons learned, and get her perspective on leadership for the future. So I'd like our guest to introduce herself and tell us a bit more about what entrepreneurial leadership means to her and her journey through it as well. Welcome. Great. Thank you, Savannah. Uh, my name is Lindsay Holly Handler. I am the former CEO of Phoenix International, a pan-African energy company working in Uganda, Nigeria, Benin, Mozambique, Cote d'Ivoire, and Zambia. And before Phoenix, I spent 10 years building different social enterprises uh, in various African countries in the fields of energy, microfinance, and education. Right. I currently live on the Nile in Uganda, uh, and I am an entrepreneur in residence at the African Leadership University here in Mauritius. Great. <laughs> okay, so what was your first leadership experience like? So when I think back to my leadership journey, I think... One of the most formative initial experience I had was as the captain of my high school soccer team. Wow, okay. <laughs> and I stepped into that role in my junior year, um, so I wasn't the oldest uh, member of the team at this time. Right. Um, but I remember at that time, um, after having several different types of captains and coaches, um, wanting to create a team where no matter what year you were, no matter what position you played, no matter how good you were, um, and how much, how many goals you scored, you felt like you had a role and a place right, yes. on this team, and making it a very inclusive team. And I remember kind of that journey and and some of the ways we succeeded and failed in doing that. But that is that has sports have always been a really important part of my leadership journey. Right. Okay. So, what would you describe your leadership style as? Because you know from obviously experience of being a CEO, there are a number of teams that you've probably been leading before up to that role and even during that role or even after. So what would you describe your leadership style as? So the best way to know my leadership style would be to talk to the people that I have led. But I think <laughs> um, listening to some of the feedback over the years, I think 
uh, three things come to mind that have been really core to the leader I want to be and work right. to be every day. First is empathy. So empathy for the people that you are leading, okay. really understanding them, understanding their challenges, their dreams, their needs, the, the, the ways that they still could grow. And then in the business world, empathy for your customer. Right. So I would say empathy is really important. Second is um, always having a big vision and a vision of excellence. Right. So I think that great people like to join a team when they feel like there is a vision and there is excellence that they can be part of. Right. And then finally, though, there's no team unless there's actual execution. So something that's always been really important to me is that we can dream big, we can be very empathetic towards each other, but making things happen through execution. That's great. You've really articulated that into very biteable um, steps or sort of like points that we can use um, to get to get a, a glimpse of what your leadership style is like. So um, we're going to get into... Um, leading while at Phoenix, because you did mention you are the former CEO at Phoenix. And we're going to talk about the lessons that you may have learned or not. <laughs> so um, how did you build teams at Phoenix? Yeah, I mean, there's there's many different tools we use to build teams. But I would say we were very inspired by an author named Jim Collins, who wrote the book Built to Last. Right. And he talks a lot about how to build teams. And he has this great metaphor that we did use a lot at Phoenix, which is to first get the right people onto the bus. Okay. Make sure they're sitting in the right seat. Right. Make sure the wrong people are off the bus. And make sure that bus is all, everyone is all going in the same direction. Right. And I think that, um, you know, that has been something that's really guided us a lot at Phoenix. I think to make it a little bit more Phoenix specific, mm -hmm. um, you know, we started with really hiring uh, and for all the young people out there listening, we are always looking for passionate, hardworking, growth-oriented people who are excited to be collaborative. And I think that it's really, it's not always about finding the star performers, right. but it's about finding those people that really believe in the mission and are ready to work hard to achieve that with their teammates. Um, and I think another important thing is then once you have this assembled, this great team, is to really think a lot about the culture how does that team work together? And right. I'm sure you'll get to this, but I think the job of a leader who's building teams at Phoenix is to think about who is on that team and then how do they really interact with one another. Right. We spent a lot of time talking about building culture at Phoenix. Oh, that's great. Um, so looking at how we've built teams, um, what are some of the challenges that you've experienced while building those teams at Phoenix? I think some of the the major challenges we face are one, when you're building a very fast growing startup company right. that has very ambitious goals, very yeah. ambitious expectations from your investors, but on a very limited budget. Right. It is often very difficult to find and attract in the early days the talent you want. Okay. Um, How so? Well, it can be uh, a lot of great talent is looking for a particular salary. And when you're building a small okay. <laughs> mission-oriented, when you're originally a smaller mission-oriented social enterprise, it can be hard to sometimes attract very experienced, high level, and at times um, some of the diverse talent that you really want to bring on. So you have to do a lot with a little. And you also have to really get good at um, bringing great talent into your vision um, in the early days. So I would say in the early days, getting the talent that you really wanted was very challenging. So you have to get many no's. 
Right. You go through many no's before you often get the yes that yeah. you're looking for. Um, hiring as fast as you need to hire. Um, mm. Last year, we hired over 350 full-time wow. employees. That's about one person per day, including weekends. <laughs> so you have to get very good at finding the right talent that is also a good culture fit while also hiring very rapidly and figuring That's out how to onboard them. moving to the same them. direction. Absolutely. <laughs> The one thing, too, that you asked and the question was just kind of what are some of the major lessons we learned? And, right. and ahead of this interview, I, I was thinking a little bit about that. I think the one thing that I want to dispel is that there's a notion, though, that as you're building teams very quickly, you right. cannot maintain your culture over time. And I think one of the things we learned, and I was worried about that, right. that once we got to 150 people, 300 people, could we really keep that culture? And I think one of the things I learned is that you can actually not only just maintain your culture, but you can improve it as you grow and scale in many countries. Right. Okay. Wow. <laughs> That's incredible. I never thought about it like that, actually. Um, so you came from the U.S., and although you had experience working in Africa, you're not an African. Um, so how are you able to build trust while leading African teams? Yeah, this is a fantastic question. So first, um, I started my, uh, career in Africa in right. 2005. I, my first job out of college was with an organization called Village Enterprise Fund. And it okay. was, um, it had a mission to reduce poverty through creating businesses. And so we were investing anywhere from a hundred dollars to a few hundred dollars or a few thousand dollars into entrepreneurs living in very rural parts of Africa. Right. And as part of that role, I spent an enormous amount of time on the ground with our team, but also with those customers. And I spent a lot of time learning and listening and getting to know what life was like for our employees, what life was like for the customers living at the last mile. So I spent five years working in some of the remote, most remote parts of East Africa, and I even yeah. lived there. So for about three years, I lived in rural Kenya, right. 40 minutes from the town of Kakamega on a 50-watt solar system. And I did that to kind of learn about what the real challenges um, were like for my employees, my customers. Um, and I think through this process of really getting to know them at a very at a very deep level within the work context, but also outside of work, what their lives were like, what their challenges faced, what kind of, what they wanted to do with their lives. I really was able to build a connection that I think transcended some of the differences we had with our backgrounds. Right. I will also say within the Phoenix context, um, that I think, again, in addition to getting to know people at a personal level, I think it's important to get into the trenches with your teams, regardless right. of where you're from. So yeah. I would spend time selling in the field with the sales teams. I would take calls with the customer service teams. I would go into the assembly room and learn about how to assemble our kits. Um, so I think that oftentimes to build trust, particularly with right. teams you do not, you, know, you don't come from the same background, it's yeah. really important to spend a lot of time getting to know what them. the dynamic is as well. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'll give you another example. I mean, actually, when I became CEO of Phoenix, um, Phoenix was, had a very strong engineering background, and I right. was not an engineer. So in the same way that I had to build trust with my African staff, I also had to build trust with my engineering team. So I said, <laughs> wow, we went from having a CEO who is an engineer to one who's not an engineer. Is she going to understand us? And so equally, I spent a lot of time kind of getting to know about what they were working on, what challenges they faced. So I think it's about um, really getting to know each other and then also at times knowing when to defer decisions to right. the people who understand 
them most. Oh, wow, great. Um, so obviously, not obviously, I don't think a lot of people know this, but personally, um, one person who chooses my energy as something you can invest in. So when you when you choose to pay attention to something, it's an investment. So obviously at Phoenix, you choose to invest in people. And there's often a lot of um, contention around this issue. What? So what are the major decisions you've had to make regarding your people? I love this question. Um, as anyone knows, I think that investing in people was not just something we, we said we did, but we really tried to walk the talk. And I'll give right. you uh, first examples. When we were creating our values in 2015, we actually made one of our six values. We invest in a high-performing team. Right. that loves what they do. Right. And the reason we use that word invest is because we wanted our investors who wanted to invest in Phoenix, we wanted our team, we wanted our partners to know that we don't just care about the team, which right. a lot of people do, but we actually were putting money into investing into our employees. Right. Um, and so specifically, how did we do that? I'll give you an example. One of the things that we did at Phoenix very early on is we decided to give not only health insurance to our employees, which was not mandated by law right. in, in the countries we worked, but we actually gave health insurance to employees and their spouse and up to four children. And when you're a lean startup and you have a limited budget, that can seem expensive. But right. for me, that was the very minimum, that if we were going to be a social enterprise that invested in their employees, I wanted employees to be able to come to work without worrying, were they going to have access to health care? And that came out of a story, actually. I remember our guard... Um, at one of our offices, you know, came to me and said, you know, I am not able to work today and also I really do need an employee loan because my daughter is, is, is in the hospital after a very fatal accident. And um, I just remember that this employee couldn't focus. We ended up spending a lot more to get replacements um, or overtime for this employee. And it was, it was kind of this moment where I decided that this was going to be something regardless of how much capital we had we were going to invest in our employees who committed to coming to work with us every day. Right. A second example is probably one that I'm most excited about is that we gave shares to 100% of the staff at Phoenix. That's amazing. Um, it took three years, but we actually gave shares not only to the software engineers, the senior executives, but we gave shares to the sales teams, the customer service teams, even the cleaners and the guards and the cooks at Phoenix, right. anyone who is a full-time employee. And I think at the end of the day, this is the ultimate way we, we truly invest in the staff is letting them own part of the company that they are building and the profits that they are generating. I think it also defines their role there. It's like there's something I'm a part of and it's growing. So I'm looking forward to seeing how this goes. And, you know, every day you'd always take an interest into what it is that you are a part of essentially or something somebody has decided to put you a part of absolutely yeah. and, and you're right because not only did we when you invest in employees not only is that um a good investment for the company um by itself but what it does is it transforms the role of that employee into someone who wants to see phoenix grow and succeed even more than yeah. if you didn't invest in them and so they become i mean it, it pays off in so many other ways than just the direct benefits um, but I will admit to Savannah, there was one thing, because I think in these podcasts it's good to talk about what you did well, but also kind of what you didn't do so well. I think one of the things I didn't invest enough in right. was professional development. Okay. So I kind of, when we had limited budgets, I would, I remember saying to the team, 
the professional development is working at Phoenix. You know, every day we were solving new challenges. It was startup environment where everybody was learning. Right. Um, and with limited budget and time, we didn't develop as many professional development programs as I wish. And I think if I could do it again, I would earlier on invest in professional development that invested in the skills that our staff would need as they grew and as the company grew. Right. Um, and that's actually why I'm excited to be at ALU because I'm learning all about how to, you know, how to develop young leaders. Great. So how, what are some of the action steps that you took to sort of, what are some of the things that you really, how, okay, let me phrase this right. How are, what are some of the ways that you were able to identify that you're not doing as much professional development as you expected or how, or there's not as much professional growth in your um, area of expertise within your company. So what are some of the things that you noticed and what mm -hmm. are the action steps that you took to ensure that this is not going to happen again? We're growing in the positive gradient. Yes. Great question. So number one, the staff told me. We had a very open culture. Once a month, we had right. what's called a customer experience meeting where the whole company came together that was in Kampala and would share feedback. So the staff told me many times, Lindsay, we need more certificate programs. We need more skill development. Um, so they did tell me directly. Then we also did an anonymous engagement survey, employee engagement survey every year. And we would get feedback. And one right. of the things that we scored the lowest on was professional development. So that was second data point. Wow. And then the third data point was, you know, the best way for any company to hire for new roles is to promote within, to find someone within the company who can grow into that role or take on that role. Right. So when you find yourself having to bring people outside, you have to say to yourself, are you doing enough within the company to develop those skills so that you can actually hire within? Because it's always better to hire yeah. within. So those were the three data points that made me say towards the end of my time at Phoenix that I should have done a bit more. And I know that the team is doing an amazing job today of taking our professional development to the next level. And I hope they partner with ALU and ALX to do even more on that regard. <laughs> we hope so as well. We hope so as well. So one of the companies, one of the things many companies struggle with is high retention rates. Uh, what have been some of your techniques to ensure people are happy to work at your company? You mentioned... Um, giving them a shares. Um, you're giving them shares and also professional development. So what are other things that you have done as a Phoenix to develop your uh, workforce? Yeah. Yeah, so the Phoenix Flame Share Program is undoubtedly probably one of the programs that encouraged the most long-term retention at Phoenix. But there's a few other things. Um, I think number two, I would say, is the culture. Right. I think employees today, I think, care a lot more about what it feels like when they come to work. It's like employee satisfaction. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, feeling like they're... One of the most amazing statistics to me is that we spend more than 50% of our time on earth right. at work. And so if we think about that, like that is, that is a precious... Uh, it's precious time. And so I think people more and more are saying, gosh, reflecting on that, what am I doing? Who am I spending my time with at work? What does it feel like when I'm at work? And nobody wants to go to work into a culture that is toxic, where they feel undervalued or completely ignored. Um, and so I think that sometimes people would come to me and say, you know, I don't know what to do. I got this job offer at this other company. It pays a bit more or it's an opportunity to grow, but I love the Phoenix culture, right. which was often called the Phoenix family. We called it the Phoenix family. And so I think that our culture kept people at Phoenix despite other challenges they might have been facing or other opportunities they had. 
So our culture for sure. And then I would say there's a third thing that is part of the culture, but I wanted to pull it out. Okay. Um, I think that there's this really simple thing that leaders can do that get people to stay at their companies, which is when leaders care about you, when leaders value you. It's like the most simplest form of human interaction in okay. so many ways. And in some cases, when, when you feel that the people around you and the leaders at your company love you, I feel like people are loyal, people stay, people are committed. And so there's this very simple thing of feeling valued and feeling loved that can, I think, drive incredibly high retention rates. There's a fantastic um, TED Talk um, that I'll have to get back to you on the, the, the speaker, but he talks right. about how leaders that prioritize love or empathy, like we talked mm. about earlier, actually build companies that are much more profitable than leaders that prioritize profit. So it's just something for everyone listening to think about. It's so simple. We often think you have to have these complex retention strategies, but right. simply really embedding in your culture the act of valuing employees um, and taking care of them in and out of the workplace. Right. What would you, what example would you give to sort of put a tangible um, concept on the value that you put on your employee? Yes. Okay. Great question. So, so first and foremost, I remember the first 150 employees at Phoenix, right. I interviewed them myself. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times what I'll do in those interviews is ask, what is your story? And get to know someone at a more human level. Right. Then those are hired, the ones that we hire and we bring on. I will see them around the office, see them around campus, see them in the field. And at that moment, you can ask them, well, first of all, if you interview them, you know what role they're in. You can ask, how is it going? You can oftentimes follow what they've been doing within the company and say, hey, I noticed that you did an incredible job recruiting very high-quality customers, and I want to congratulate you for that because you're contributing to our mission. You're growing the value of the company. So finding ways to actually very specifically recognize the value they're bringing to the company. Right. Secondly, you'll often find out you know, an employee has two children at home and one has a serious health issue. Mm -hmm. And you can say to that employee when you see them, hey, how's your daughter doing? You know, and it's these little moments where you actually personalize the leadership experience. You right. get to know your employees on a human level that will get them to get out of bed and go to work every day and work even harder. And I'll give you one more example. Actually, one of the most beautiful things about Phoenix was the way the team, as we grew, took that on themselves. And I'll never forget a story I heard when I went to the field where... Um, you know, salespeople have individual targets. And at Phoenix, right. we had individual targets too, but we also had team targets. Right. And I remember, um, I remember going to the field and hearing the story of how one of our salespeople, their son had to have a brain surgery of some type and had to step out of his sales role. Um, was very afraid he was going to lose his job because he was already behind on his target. So another salesman came from a different part of the country, gave up, achieving, you know, his above and beyond bonuses, came, sat in for this person, helped them hit their targets, put all those sales on that individual's name. Wow. Not only did the team hit the target, both individuals hit the target, but one of those employees actually made a sacrifice for his own bonus to come and make sure his teammate right. was able to survive this health issue and that the team actually succeeded. And I think when you build a culture where that happens organically in all different teams and different countries, to me, like that is a culture 
people feel where few people really feel valued and also don't want to leave. Right. Wow. Um, we're learning so much on here. Um, so we're going to step into the third segment of the podcast, which is leadership for the future. And we just want to get a perspective of what you feel of that. So how do you build teams of people who are entrepreneurial leaders? Because obviously Phoenix is um, a startup as well as a growing establishment. And, you know, uh, on top of that, you also have other roles and other leadership roles that you're taking outside of that. And, you know, your experience has also brought into certain aspects of entrepreneurial leadership. So how exactly do you sit in a room of creatives that always want to bring something out and don't necessarily know how to mesh it well with what the objectives are? Hmm, great question. And I know that while you're asking that, I love that ALU is trying to build the next generation of entrepreneurial leaders, and it's a big focus here. So, you know, first, I think every company should be looking to bring on entrepreneurial leaders, people who actually their their goal is to really start their own company. If you can get someone like that to join your company, you should see that as an amazing opportunity, where some people shy away from that. They want the kind of um, the people who are just going to execute a particular right. role over and over again. And I just personally think the way to build fantastic companies is to build entrepreneurs, to bring in entrepreneurial leaders and find a way to channel that entrepreneurial spirit and that passion and that creativity towards yes. the mission. Yeah. And so now, very specifically, how do you do that? I think first, of, first and foremost, I think entrepreneurial leaders, especially young ones entering the workforce, they want ownership. So they don't necessarily want to be told exactly what to do. They want to be part of the creative process. They want to be part of decision-making, and they want to understand how decisions are made. So I think um, first is figuring out ways to give ownership, ownership of the company, ownership of decision-making, ownership of design, but pair that with what we kind of call accountability. Right. So I think that when you just give ownership and you have no accountability, it can kind of frustrate the broader team. Right. But if you give entrepreneurial leaders ownership and then accountability and you really kind of check in, how is this, you know, how are you executing? Is this creativity turning into value for the company and for the mission? Um, I think that that combination is very important for entrepreneurial leaders. The other thing that I think is very critical is being very open and transparent wherever you can. So one of the things we did at Phoenix that I think was very needle moving is we started sharing the financials with everyone in right. the company at one stage. And later it was difficult because bigger companies like NG feel less comfortable with financials being available. But when we were growing the business, we believed that sharing the financials with everyone from call center representatives to the senior leadership to engineers, it helps everybody understand where to channel their passion right. and their energy because they have access to this information. And so I feel like when you, when you, when you are open and transparent, I feel like there are less, you, you lose less time and energy kind of wondering what information do I not have? Right. Um, and it really helps people understand where they can best kind of channel that passion and information and then finding ways to really, um, you know, let these, what we call intrapreneurs. Right. Yes. actually, you know, really challenge some of your core assumptions to the business and create new products and internal processes that you could have never dreamed about. So I think you really have to, most importantly, help middle management see right. the value of that yeah. and embrace that. 
Um, and, and I think the best way to do that is kind of celebrate the times that it happens and really also celebrate the managers who enabled that so that it becomes kind of a culture across the company. So in the end, you're having sort of like a flat hierarchy where everybody has a voice and an opinion to some extent um, in order to bring out the best potential out of the company. Is that what you're saying? Yes, absolutely. As long as there's accountability with that. Right. But can I ask you, Savannah? Go ahead. what, What can companies do to attract entrepreneurial leaders? Mm, I think more on, that's a really good question, to attract young entrepreneurial leaders. So I think more on what I've been seeing lately is people are embracing the aspect of diversity. So there's a lot of inclusivity as well. Um, Young people don't get heard in a lot of these big spaces. And, you know, there's a lot of frustration of, I'm just an intern, you know? So I think more of inclusivity and, you know, as young people, we always want to have a voice. And, you know, it's always like, you know, you're the future of, um, you're the future of this company, you're the future of our, of our leadership, you're the future of our, um, you know, economic state or whatever. So I think giving us more of a voice and having, and being able to say that, listen, we want you to be heard. Want you, we want you to feel like you've been heard or embraced and we're investing in you, like you said, at Phoenix does. So I think Phoenix is on a good track in attracting your entrepreneurial leaders. Um, yeah. All right. So uh, we can move on to the last question. And a lot of times leaders get heavily invested in their teams and sometimes choose to stay because so as not to disappoint the team. Or yeah. uh, when do you know it's your time to leave a company and a team? And how do you manage this transition? Because you did mention you're the former CEO of Phoenix. So what is your t- transition like, most especially having invested in a Phoenix family? What is your transition like? And when, when did you feel like it was the right time to leave? Yeah. Well, that question hits very close to home right now. Um, you know, like you said, it really felt like a family at Phoenix and it felt like I, I was going to work every day on a mission I loved with people I truly loved and, right. and also people who, um, you know, I learned from, you know, every day. I mean, some of our, some of our youngest employees, you know, taught me new data analysis skills, taught me new ways of, of, of thinking about decision-making. And, and so it was a very hard decision to leave a team that I loved and that I, I felt like I was still growing right. and none of that had stopped. So I think for some people, it's when they feel like they've stopped growing, they're not as passionate about the mission anymore, that's time to leave. But I will say for me, um, all those things were still there. So it made the decision to leave. And I did feel a little bit like I was, um, I did, like I was potentially going to disappoint the team. And right. so that factored a lot into my decision. However, um, you know, I think that and it's, it's, it's talked about a lot, but I really truly feel this, is that um, it's, there is a huge benefit to leaders taking a step back, taking a step out, mm-hmm. and letting an organization um, go into a new chapter of growth with new leadership and with okay. new ideas and with new approaches to some of the challenges. And I did feel that after 10 years of thinking about how to bring energy 
to, to off-grid households, I felt like it was a great... Uh, we had gotten Phoenix into an incredibly strong foundation, right. um, and it had stability. Uh, after the acquisition of NG, we had the capital we needed to achieve our mission. We had employees knew they were going to get a paycheck at the end of every month. Employees right. had benefits. Employees had new job opportunities. So I felt like the foundation was there, and it was a great time to let kind of the next generation of leaders start to approach some of our core challenges with, with kind of a new mindset on a personal level. Right. Um, I think it's very important to continuously step back and analyze, are you happy in the role you're in? So I was very happy in the company I was in. Right. Um, but I was spending most of my time in boardrooms or in meetings in Paris mm-hmm. um, and oftentimes having to deal with politics and having to deal with capital raising, um, all of which are very important roles of right. a CEO. But yeah. I wanted to spend more of my time working directly with teams, um, with customers, building new products, um, and also probably getting back to being a bit more entrepreneurial and nimble in a smaller organization. It's not as possible to do that. So for me, in the end, it was about finding the right role for me and also finding the right leadership team for Phoenix. So in the end, I did tr- decide to transition. You know, I gave the leadership team many months to prepare for it. Um, mm-hmm. I made sure we didn't leave until there was a fantastic CEO in place fully onboarded and leading the team into the next chapter. And luckily, um, he came from the Phoenix world. So our co-founder and COO stepped into the CEO role. And so I knew that that mission and those values and the culture would continue on under his leadership. Um, And then I think, you know, on a final note, um, you know, I stayed in and around Phoenix and Uganda and and have really tried to make sure that it was as positive a transition as possible so I still get to maintain all of those friendships and all of those relationships right. um, which are near and dear to me. So. Wow, great. So um, what are maybe five actionable steps that you would um, give as a form of, form of, a, form of advice to um, maybe young entrepreneurial leaders who are aspiring to lead others or are kind of in a space where they don't know what to do with their teams or how to manage their team. So what are five actionable steps you give? Ooh, okay. I'm going to be doing these on the spot. But (laughs) first, find a mission that you are truly passionate about. Because I don't think you can effectively lead others if you are not passionate about the mission that that team is coming together for. So find a mission you're passionate about. Um, number two, I think, is kind of going back to that empathy point. I think spend as much time as you can right now in the early stages of building a team or when you start to come, you know, come across challenges with your team. Spend as much time as you can getting to know at a very deep level the issues that face your customers or your team. Right. And just really try to, through that deep understanding is where I think empathy comes, comes in, from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then... I think with that foundation, kind of with that empathy, I think it's about then translating what you've learned from those customers and the team about what needs to happen to advance the mission, to achieve the mission, and putting together a execution plan in place for that. Great people love to see things happen. So get a plan in place that outlines what you need to achieve with all of those insights in mind and then start executing. Okay. Okay, that's step three. So now we're executing... 
Um, step four, I think, now comes this excellence part, right, which mm -hmm. is about I think there are going to be things that you fail at, things that you don't achieve. And I think really thinking about very quickly what skills do we need to either develop ourselves, how do we need to grow to really achieve this mission, to kind of overcome these challenges. So I'll give you an example. We, we needed a lot of capital and we didn't have enough finance information or finance knowledge and expertise. So we hired finance people. We developed finance skills across the company. So it's really now where do you need to grow and addressing those weaknesses through growth and excellence. And then the last one is really, there's going to be lots of people that can help you execute and build a team, but the job of a leader is to think about that culture and how that team interacts. So spend a lot of time thinking about what is the culture that you've built? What do you like about it and what do you want to grow? What do you want to improve? And constantly think about improving the way that team interacts, treats each other, and feels at the end of the day. Because I think at the end of the day, a great team culture um, is what makes an exceptional group of humans kind of go above and beyond to do extraordinary things. Very great. Thank you. So um, for those of you who didn't know what we're talking about, we're talking about leading others and specifically under building teams. Um, our guest today, Lindsay Handler, the former CEO of C this former CEO of Phoenix International. I don't know. I'm stumbling on my words today. Um, has given us a bit of insight on how to build teams and ensure the maintenance of it. Um, she's given us a glimpse of her entrepreneurial journey as well. And I just want to say thank you for being with us today. Uh, yeah, so we'll see you in the next podcast. Hope you tune in. Bye.